Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. We'll pray that God will help us to remove any kind of distractions and thoughts and worries, fears, troubles, anxiety, anything that would try to take away our hearts and minds in the next hour. Look, listen, if you're not going to be focused here this morning and you're just going to zoom out and think about what's happening next, then you're just going to really miss why you came for. Amen? Part of, part of gathering together is to worship God, but also it's to hear from His Word. And we need to hear from His Word, and God's Word is good, and so we have to condition our heart in a very fast-moving society to slow down now and uh, you know, be disciplined to sit and listen from the Word of God. Everything's fast today, fast food. You know, everything has to happen so fast and quickly that when it comes to the Word of God, it's, it kind of feels like it's dragging on. But I, I guarantee you, you, you've come with a prepared heart to listen, to learn. That hour will feel like, you know, 20 minutes or half an hour. But if you're already thinking, when's this going to be over and we haven't even begun, it's going to feel like two hours. All right, so uh, let's, let's ask the Lord to help us uh, because the words that we hear from the, the, the Word of God is words of life. Uh, they, they, they're, they're good for us. They're, they're, they're quickening, if you will. They're, it's the only hope that we have in a, very, in, a, in, a, in a society that is so dark and so removed from the things of God. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 together in verse 8 to 10. You perhaps know this one, verse, uh, very common verse. And I uh, pr- wanted to kind of bring this message a while ago. And it came to my mind during the week. I thought, you know, I'll continue to develop it and share it. And, um, and, and hope and pray that you would understand uh, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians regarding the point of salvation. Uh, salvation is one of the greatest subjects of Christianity. If you don't have salvation, you don't have a foundation. And so we have to get this one right. We can't mess this one up. And uh, may God help us to, uh, <clears throat> uh, to understand what the Bible is saying in this area. So Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's come before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we do come before you this morning and we thank you for this portion of scripture and others that we'll turn to today. Father, I do ask and pray that you would get a hold of our hearts this morning. I pray that you'd help us be focused and disciplined to listen. Uh, Help us to remove anything that would distract us from, Father, absorbing and receiving and retaining the word of God. Uh, I pray, Father, for your people that are here before me, the Lord, that you'd Uh, Help them to to understand what he said. Help me to convey your words simply and effectively to their hearts. And I pray if there be anyone here, Father, that is not saved, they don't know their uh, Lord, 100% sure that they're going to be with you in heaven, I pray that you'd work in their hearts and, and make these truths alive in their hearts, give them sense and understanding that they would know what they must do to be saved. Pray, Lord, that you would govern our affairs today and you'll be pleased with all that we do say and think and decisions that we make today according to your will and by your grace for your glory in Jesus name amen recently in the world of Christian culture there has been uncalled for debate regarding 
what the gift of God is relating to Ephesians chapter number 2. Is it grace that the gift of God is referring to or is it faith that the gift of God is referring to? Well, the popular notion today and the growing notion today among Christendom is that Ephesians chapter 2 regarding the gift of God is referring to faith. In other words, God is the one, they say, that enables you and gives you the faith, the gift of faith, to believe the gospel in order to be saved. And without God granting you or giving you this faith, you cannot believe on Christ. And the gift, therefore, is limited because God then chooses who he will give people with faith to believe on him. So therefore, it is limited to a selective group. However, when we look into the scriptures, especially Ephesians chapter number 2, and contrast and compare it with other passages of scriptures, you'll find out that grace is not necessarily the gift and faith is not necessarily the gift, but we find that salvation is the gift. By grace are you saved through faith. And so it's very clear that salvation is the gift motivated by God's grace and only received by faith. So let's do some in comparison uh, with Scripture with Scripture so we can see this a little further by the way of introduction, introduction and then get into the message. We'll refer to some verses that are on the screen for the, for the sake of time and then later on we'll pull up some Scriptures I'll ask you to turn to. Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but what's the gift? The gift of God is what? Eternal life. Okay, it's eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus. So clearly eternal life in this passage is the gift. And by the way, eternal life, like the forgiveness of sin, is a byproduct of salvation. No no salvation, no eternal life. All right, so we see that very clearly. In John chapter 4, verse 10, uh, Jesus challenges the Samaritan woman regarding the gift of God and what it is. She was ignorant to the gift of God. And he says to her in verse 10, uh, he answered and said, If thou knowest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would give thee, he said, have given thee living water. So the woman was ignorant of both the presence of the Messiah and who he was and the gift of God. And he said, if you would ask, I would give it to you. Now this is referring to life. And the living water is no doubt depicted or symbolizes uh, life that springs up. So Jesus is simply stating this, that, you know, if you had asked me, I would have given you life or living water. John chapter 7 verse 37 says, in the last day that Jesus, uh, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that what? Believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of what? Living water, all right. Uh, but he spoke, he of the holy uh, of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So over here, it's again illustrating the fact that uh, God offers this living water, this eternal life that is given by the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and all those that believe thereafter. Second Corinthians nine fifteen. Paul says to the Corinthians, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Now, let me just say that the unspeakable, indescribable gift is not faith. (laughs) No way in the world. Uh, The contrast which flows from chapter 8 and 9 is in reference of grace giving. 
You read chapter 8, Paul's talking about grace giving and how the grace of God was simply upon the churches of Macedonia. And he continues to develop this in verse uh, chapter 9, and he concludes this grace giving by contrasting the Christian act of giving to the ultimate act of giving, which God has simply demonstrated through his son. Paul calls it the unspeakable gift. Uh, in other words, he cannot describe it. There's no, not enough words to describe this, um, this gift that God has given. And uh, no doubt, this grace that is resembled in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. A preacher once said regarding this, he said, God is the ultimate giver. He, he, he gave a gift too wonderful for words, the gift of his son, God's extraordinary gift of salvation should motivate you to give generously to others. So Paul's using this great gift, this unspeakable gift, to encourage us that we should also be grace givers. Hence, the whole point of this gift is salvation through Jesus Christ. All right, Romans 8.32, basically Paul describes uh, to the Romans that he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for, all, for us all, how shall he not with him also what? freely give freely give us all things so in christ we have salvation and redemption and paul says to the corinthians that ye are in christ jesus of god made unto wisdom uh, uh, also righteousness sanctification and redemption the accusation by those that disagree that the grace of god is salvation in ephesians chapter 2 or that the emphasis of the gift of god is faith continue to maintain that faith is the gift uh, they justify their position by saying this, a person doesn't have the ability to believe or have faith because they are spiritually dead and depraved. Now, are we spiritually dead in, in our trespasses and sin? Yes. Are we dep depraved creatures? Uh, absolutely. But depravity doesn't mean inability to comprehend what God illuminates in our hearts. This is easily sought out by uh, Romans chapter 10 when Paul says to the Romans that faith cometh by what? And hearing by the word of God. So God's powerful word, accompanied with his powerful Holy Spirit, is able to illuminate and unveil, if you will, the, 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 the veil that the devil and the world and deception has upon men. God uses the powerful sword of the Spirit with uh, the Holy Spirit to illuminate the heart of man and show them their need for Christ. And we thank God for the preaching ministry that does that. And uh, this is how God gets things done. By the foolishness of what? Preaching. He confounds the wise. And by the way, there's power in biblical preaching. And God uses that. Uh, he's always used it from the beginning to the end. Second of all, there are those that say that salvation is all of God. A grace, salvation, faith is all of God. It's the whole package. That's salvation. And, uh, and, and there's no other salvation but of God. And if we dare to say that we have believed on Christ, then faith becomes a work. But Paul the Apostle already deals with this in our passage. It's simple. It's not difficult to understand. As a matter of fact, we, we have to kind of speak about it because of the people that distort it. Okay? You say, well, how is it simple? Well, he contrasts it so clearly. He makes it very clear that salvation is not of ourselves, but it is the what? Not of works, but it is what? The gift of God. So what's the gift of God? Faith? No, salvation is. Received by faith. It's not of yourself. So therefore, faith is not of yourself, because then faith becomes another work if you believe. 
Oh, no, 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 God believes for you. He gives you the faith. No, it doesn't say that. It says through faith, and later on we'll see that faith is a responsibility of man. Because God condemns those that believe not. Okay, so how can God condemn you uh, if, if he's the one that gives you the faith to believe? In other words, God is to be blamed, therefore. No, you are to be blamed if you don't believe. So very clearly, Paul makes the contrast that work, uh, faith is not a work. Work is contrasted with faith. It's not of yourself. And we'll again develop that in a moment. So, my, uh, uh, so going through this, I would like to develop this further by pointing out three main things. We may not finish the whole thing today for the sake of time. We might have a part two. But I want to point out three main things from this passage, and including verse 10, which no doubt elevates good works. Verse 10 elevates good works. Verse 9 seems to undermine good works. Now, it's done for good reason. Because one is for salvation. Okay, if, if good works is for salvation, it's undermined. If good works is a result of God working in you, in Christ, then it's elevated. Because the only good work that can be done is in Christ. And by His Spirit. And with the right motive. Alright, we'll probably see this third point next time. But we're gonna, I'm going to develop these first two points. And I'll talk about the motivation of God's gift, which is no doubt grace. What moved and motivated God? It was his grace, it was his love. And then the means to receive the gift of God. We know that God is the one that provides salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. But what is the means to accept the gift of God? And of course, what is the main purpose for the gift of God? We'll look at it at another time. I think God purposed and planned salvation from the, uh, you know, and, and the hope of eternal life from, uh, you know, uh, the beginning of the world or from the foundation of the world and praise God for that however God also purposed before the world began that those that believe and are saved should live sanctified lives and maintain good works in Christ Jesus so let's look at the first this morning number one the motivation for the gift of God what motivated God to give us this great salvation what moved him well the Bible says for by what for by grace are ye saved. If it weren't for God's grace, then none of us would be saved. Or none of us would ever have the opportunity to be saved. So grace is simply the undeserved favour of God shown to unworthy sinners. Grace is God's goodness shown toward undeserving people. And God's grace is his love extended to sinful people. And if, you know, again, if a person, if it was the person of God because God is what love so god himself is full of love and he's gracious and good and he was motivated by his person it's who he, it's who god is god wanted to save man because he loved man he loved you god you know he he perceived we the love of god how how john uh because he laid down his life for us so how do we know and perceive the love of god by the laying down all right, it was by the love of God that moved us. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That was the motivation. God's grace is God's love revealed in his son. I want you to see this in 2 Thessalonians 2. Look at this. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath what? Loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Isn't that a blessing? What a blessing that both God the Father and God the Son had, had loved us and given us everlasting consolation. 
encouragement and comfort knowing that uh, you know, our salvation is secure because of their love and grace toward us. You know, that's a blessing. And, uh, what a, and I thank God for his motivation and his uh, provoking uh, character that moved him to love us. This is why we sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We don't sing Amazing Faith, do we? No. We don't. So why is faith emphasized here that it's the gift? No, the gift of God is salvation motivated by the grace of God. And what a blessing that is. 1 John 5.11 says, this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his who? Son. So God's gracious gift of salvation, eternal life, is only found in Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to pay for your sin to purchase our redemption. All right, you heard about the acrostic grace, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's what grace is. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians. He says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor that ye through his poverty might be what? Rich. Now, Paul absolutely nails it and hits the nail on the head uh, when he leads up to Ephesians chapter 8 by the prior verses. So I want you to go to Ephesians 2 verse 4 and I want you to see this. He hits the nail on the head and makes it very clear that it was by God's rich grace that he simply gave us salvation. Have a look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great what? Love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through who? There it is. There it is. So to back up a chapter again, notice Paul's introduction of praise. Go back to chapter 1. I want you to see verse 6. Look at this. To, to the praise of the, of the glory of his what? Grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, whom we have redemption or salvation through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his... There it is. So the great motivation for God giving us this great gift is God's love, listen, through his son, Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.8, you know it, you've heard it before, but God commendeth, or he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now go to Romans chapter 5. I want you to see this uh, uh, in verse 12. Go to Romans chapter 5 with me, please. He says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God 
and the gift of by grace how was the gift given by grace all right which is by who one man jesus christ hath abounded unto many and not as if not as it was by one that sinned uh, by one that sinned so it is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification for if by one's man offense death reigned by one much more they which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one jesus christ therefore as by the offense of one judgment came on all men to condemnation even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by one by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but when sin abounded grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by who jesus christ our laws very clear from this passage of scripture that god's motivation and propagation to offer uh, salvation through his son it, it was by his grace very clearly by his amazing grace extended by his love now here's what i want to focus a little bit more on uh, the means to receive the gift okay we know the motivation is by god's grace and we could have developed this further and maintained this further and brought out how God even loved Israel all the way from the beginning and how he had mercy and compassion and mercy and compassion all the way through and by the way that's our loving God how he draws men by his loving kindness and his mercy and by, I could have defined even mercy as, as, as God's grace is his undeserved favor upon sinners God's mercy is his uh, withheld judgment upon sinners and you can develop that more, but not by works of righteousness, which we are saved, but by what? His mercy, he saved us. So it is by God's grace and mercy and love that we are saved and have this gift through Jesus Christ. But what I want to talk about today, because again, faith is, you know, kind of distorted in this passage, that the responsibility to receive this gift is on us. But faith doesn't undermine the work of God in salvation. Salvation is a work of God. Jesus died in, on the cross to purchase our redemption and salvation. If we believe that, it doesn't undermine his salvation. It doesn't take away from what he has done. However, works does, because works says Christ's work on the cross is not sufficient. But faith doesn't. Why? Because faith simply believes the fact of God's grace and gift of redemption. All right, so I want you to make that very clear. Just because someone believes, it's not a work. It's not something like we can boast in and say, oh, how great, oh, I believed on the Lord. My salvation came because, you know, I was just so great in believing. No, we, we, we don't even, this is a, uh, what we call a straw man argument. The people on the other side would like to say something of that nature, but those that are truly saved have never emphasized their own faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, you don't even see it. You see him lifted up and you're drawn to him. And you're drawn by that love and you come to him faith is in motion my friend you don't even focus on you know your faith 
But they have brought us to think about, oh, was that me? Was, was I'm the one that, uh, you know, simply uh, earned my salvation by believing? And how wonderful I am for believing and that dropkick over there didn't believe. No, we sure don't think about that. We, we, our eyes are on the cross. At least I could speak for myself. When I got saved, my eyes was on the cross. Jesus was lifted up and he drew me, my friend, and I saw my need and I saw the Savior and he had convicted me of my sin and I believed on him that day. It's a personal decision that every single person must make. You say, well, I'm just waiting for God to make it for me. It's a gift that God gives and he's going to make it for me. Well, I don't see that in the scripture. I don't see that in the scripture. By the way, free will is a gift from God. We are free will beings. We are free will agents. We, we, we decided to come to church today, didn't we? Uh, perhaps someone prayed that you would come and God continued to work in your heart, but you came. You, you, you decided to come. All right, so, you know, free will is a gift from God. And I, and I explain this to people. You know, God doesn't want people in heaven that have been forced to love him. Can you imagine you found out after you were married that your spouse was forced to marry you? They didn't want to marry you. It wasn't their free will to marry you. When they said, I do, someone had a, a gun to your head almost and they forced you. Can, you. can you even think about how, you know, disappointing that would be that my wife Janet was forced to marry me? Oh, no. But how special would it be if she chose to love me? If she, she chose to say, I want to be with you to death do us part. And you're just there with a big smile on your face that she loved you and she's not being forced and so forth. And do you think God wants people in heaven that have been forced to love him? John the Revelator says, we love him. We love him because he first loved us. We didn't love God. God loved us. And by God's word, and by the preaching of his word, and by the Holy Spirit, he opened our eyes to see the way he loved us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's what you do with that that makes the difference. It's what you do with it. You either embrace it, believe it, or you can reject it. You can receive it, or reject it. We're going to say, I want to show you that, that faith is our responsibility. For by grace are you saved. What's the vehicle? What's the means? Through faith. So what's faith? Well, that's number one. Faith is submitting and resting in the gospel of Christ. Romans 10 verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel... For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? They haven't all obeyed the gospel. Uh, so Warren Reesby said about this, true Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. What about this acrostic of faith? Forgetting all impossibilities, trusting him. So, you know, faith is simply submitting ourselves to the gospel by trusting or believing in Jesus Christ. Second of all, faith is taking the Lord at his word. In other words, it's believing God's promise and power. God promised, 
the hope of eternal life before the foundation of the world that would have that in Christ Jesus and in those that would believe it's a promise shall not perish but have everlasting life that's a promise and the ability that God is able to save us to the uttermost I believe that I believe God's promise and power his his word and his ability to save me I believe that with all my heart I think Matthew chapter 8 you can turn there defines this really well okay I want you to see Matthew chapter 8 we use the centurion as an example by the way this centurion's faith made Jesus marvel <laughs> right if it was up to God he'll you know he'll give the faith for every man to marvel but I want you to see that he he accredits he he accredits his faith in other words just believing again faith is not a work and we'll see that in a moment but it's just believing God it's believing his integrity it's believing who God is and what he promises is to be true look at verse 5 in Matthew chapter uh, 8 by the way faith is the opposite of doubt all right have a look at verse 5 he says over here and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum there came unto him a centurion beseeching him saying Lord my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy and uh, grievously tormented and Jesus saith unto him I will come and heal him the centurion answered and said Lord can you notice second time he calls him Lord I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof but there's humility calls him Lord he's humbled before him but look at this but speak of the word only and my servant shall be healed what, what what's he doing here Lord I'm not even worthy that you'd come under my roof you just say a word say one word and my servant will be healed so what did he believe he believed in the powerful word of God that God's word was able to save his sick servant he believed that very clearly we see that he said just say a word he says I, I'm not worthy and he begins to uh, uh, say in verse 9 he says for I'm a man under authority having soldiers under me and I say unto this man go and he goeth and uh, to another come and he cometh to my servant do this and he doeth it what's he saying here you just have to command you just have to command the sickness the sickness even uh, obey you and are under your authority he's seeing the, the the authority of Christ right there the power of his word the ability to save the authority to save and by the way God has given him all authority to forgive sin to heal people to say you know the healing was only to uh, uh, confirm that God Jesus in the flesh is able to forgive sin and he wants to forgive sin and we'll look at verse 10 when Jesus heard it he what he marveled he marveled and he said to them that followed verily a son of you I have not found so great faith no not in all Israel so whose whose faith did he commend the centurion very clearly and he contrasts it with, 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 with the nation of Israel who had the promises of God, the covenants of God, the presence of God, the prophets of God, now the Messiah, and they still will, for the most part, the majority won't believe. And over here, you have a Gentile centurion that just simple faith, Jesus calls it great faith, or it's just simple faith, it was great, because Jesus couldn't believe, here is someone that just believes my word, respects my authority, is so humble and sees himself not worthy, 
and, 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 he, and he knows how I'm able. And he turns around and he says, look, I haven't seen this in Israel. And look what he says next. I want you to see this. And he says, and I say unto you, verse 11, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in where? The kingdom of heaven. Uh, by the way, depicting the fact that to only get into the kingdom is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You read Hebrews. Many never entered into his rest because of unbelief. They did not believe the gospel. And they didn't enter in because of unbelief. Listen, faith is taking God at his word. And then we see, uh, again, just to be very careful, um, and I just want to you know, support what Brother Damon said last week, uh, our faith must be in the source. It's not just faith. But it's in the subject. And who's that? Jesus Christ. It's not even in our faith. So remember, the grace of God is the foundation of our, our salvation. And faith is the channel, not the cause. Do we, do, does God require faith? Yes. But faith is not the salvation you know, provision. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world is the provision. And we just believe that. It, you know, our faith... You know, that is simply putting Christ, the subject, this is where our eyes open. That moment that you believe that He is our Savior. He is the Lamb of God. He is our sin bearer. In other words, Christ dying on the cross is the only provision for salvation and everything that it depicts. For example, the gift of the Holy Spirit given to those that believe. Regeneration, eternal life, resurrected bodies, forgiveness of sin, peace with God, justification, glorification, the imputed righteousness of God, the, the adoption into God's family, a home in heaven. Listen, salvation is all of the Lord and faith needs to simply say, that is it. It's all of you. None of me. Not of myself. It's you, Lord. That is faith. No Jesus, no faith. No, no crucifixion, no faith. Listen, Paul says, no resurrection, no faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is what? Vain. And your faith is also vain. If Christ didn't come to do what he did, die and rose again, then you have, your faith is, it's, it's nothing you do. It, what for? Throw it in the bin. Yeah. How can you have faith without the cross? How can you have faith without the crucifixion and the resurrection? You can't. You cannot. And so, therefore, the exercising of our faith must be in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the power of the resurrection. Notice what Jesus said to Martha in John 11, verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Martha, do you believe this? And what did she say? Yes, Lord. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which would come into the world. I believe. He's not waiting for God to give her the gift of faith to believe. He's saying, do you believe that? I am. Yes, I do. This doctrine that man has to wait until God gives them. 
you know, I'm just waiting on God, you know, God is going to do it. No! Oh, you know, it's in God's timing. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The responsibility has always been on men to believe. They always want to blame God. You know, if it was up to God, he'd say, everyone like that, right now, all saved, sanctified, everything that God planned from the Father to walk in them. If he, God were responsible for everything, he would do it for you. But you're responsible. He aids you, preaching, word, spirit. And what a great comforter he is. He, 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 you know, do you want to be spoon-fed or you want to grow up and take the meat and develop and get, love him more? Believe him more, take him at his word more. He's a rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. Oh, but that's a work. No, no, it's not a work. It's taking God at his word, resting in his promise, saying, yes, Lord. Everything he says to me, I believe that. You can believe it or you can doubt it. You can doubt it. You know, Jesus abraded people for doubting him. And by the way, in some places, he couldn't do mighty works. Why? Because they didn't believe him. We don't have time to go there, but he scolded them. He scolded them for not believing. Imagine that. Well, Lord, you didn't give me the gift of faith to believe you. Why well, you scolded me? If, we were, if they were to know what we know now, what's been taught, they could have said that. No, the responsibility is on you if you don't believe. If you doubt the Lord, you're damned. Whatsoever is not as faith is sin. And so I want you to see that faith is to rest and depend on the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. So this, this title of the sermon is called uh, simply by, uh, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is more than head knowledge. It must be in the heart. Sincere, genuine faith in the precious gospel moves a person to call upon the name of the Lord. I want you to see this in Romans 10. It's very clear in Romans 10. It's more than just consenting to the facts. It's more than just head, head knowledge. I want you to see this in verse 5. <clears throat> For Moses describeth righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in your heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or he shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. What saith, what saith it? Well, this is, if you go back to Deuteronomy, Moses quotes this. Uh, so what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. In other words, it's here, it's accessible, it's come to you. God has brought it to you. You don't have to go up. You don't have to be, you know, simply go into the... It's here. It's come to you. And then he goes on to say in verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, look at this, and believe where? In thy head? No, in thy heart. That God raised him from the dead. What does it say here? What's the promise? Thou shalt be saved. That's the promise. For with the heart man believeth unto what? Righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Alright? For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord 
over all is rich unto all unto all who that doesn't matter Jew Gentile black or white rich or poor the Lord is rich unto them his grace is rich unto them given unto them that call on him and this is where we get the famous famous verse for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved have you called on the Lord because faith in Christ will cause you to call on the Lord to be saved ask the Lord to save you knowing it and 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 you know exercising it is two different things I could know it but I need to exercise myself therein and in verse 14 proves it to us so have a look how then shall they what call on him and whom they have not what so how if and how are they going to believe without a preacher so the preaching of the gospel needs to come in order for me to believe so I can call on the Lord you see that in the gospels they all came to the Lord calling for some help and it was all for the fact that if you believed on Christ, you're going to believe what he's going to do in the future. He's going to die and he's going to rise again for your justification. For example, let me just say this. Let me illustrate it a little bit more. See this chair here? I believe this chair can uphold me. I really do. I believe this chair can keep my weight. I won't, you know, it's, one, it's not one of those flimsy chairs that you buy for a couple of bucks that you sit and it's a bit wonky and if you lean back, it cracks one of the legs. No, I believe this here, solid it's robust. It's, I believe it will. I believe it will. But have I really exercised my faith? Not, not until I sit on it. Okay? Is this exercising faith? Have I exercised faith? Oh, I'm doubting a little bit, aren't I? I'm afraid that if I put all my weight, it might break. But no, no, I, I believe it won't. You know, it's not, again, it's not one of those cheap chairs. So what do I do? I sit comfortably and I rest in it and I know. That this chair can uphold me. You know what? This chair is holding me. I'm just resting in it. That's all I'm doing. And that's faith exercised in what I believe to be true. I can say all day long, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe the facts. But believing the facts and embracing what you believe is two different things. The devils believe. Uh, they're not Christians. A lot of people believe. They're, atheists believe. There are a lot of people that have been through uh, church and Sunday school that have heard the word, been around the heavenly gift and, and, and see God move and, and experience the love of God from Christians and all that. They've been around it. But they haven't really believed the penny. They haven't come to complete rest. They see, they're observing, God's working. Some of them turn back. Even with the Lord Jesus Christ, some of them didn't want to walk no longer. They were disciples to a point. And Jesus turns to them and says, will you go also? He says, where are we going to go? You have the words to what? Eternal life. Where shall we go? Where shall we go? There's no doubt these people continued because they believed on the Lord. And later on, you see, after he res resurrected, there's some that not only Thomas doubted, but others doubted. Listen, Christians, you can doubt but it's not your whole lifestyle. Because you believe in Christ, you believe Him, you love Him. Doubting can only be fixed when you saturate yourself in the Word of God. You keep knowing the Lord and the truth and you walk therein. And this is what Jesus was trying to do with His disciples. Oh, ye of little faith, what made you doubt? But you knew that Peter loved Him. 
I mean, you, can't, you, you just look at the life of Peter and even Jesus knew that he loved him. There are people that love him and there are people that don't love him. And Judas was one of them. There's that distinction being made all throughout Scripture. You either love the Lord or you don't. You either believe on the Lord or you don't. I'm not talking about having little spots of doubt here and there and being dealt with with the Holy Spirit and God working these things out of your life and building your faith. That... <laughs> But it really comes down to that. Do you really believe in the Lord? Do you really love the Lord? Do you really follow the Lord? You believe everything that he's planned and purposed for your life? Galatians 3.22, look at this. But the scripture hath concluded, all, uh, all under sin, that the promise by faith, okay, of Jesus Christ, look at it. So you know that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ it's not by the law, we know that, right? Might be given to them that what? What does it say? Oh, sorry, it's not up there. I thought it was up there. It's not there. All right, Galatians 3, I want you to see it in your Bibles, verse 22. Sorry. I want you to see it. It's very important that you see this because you can know the promises of Jesus Christ not by the work of righteousness, not by the law. Very good, good, good. That's great. But who's it given to? Who's this doctrine of faith in Christ given to? Well, have a look. Galatians 22. The scripture hath concluded all under sin. We don't argue with that. All have sin come short of the glory of God. That the promise by faith of Jesus, this promise that God has given through Jesus Christ, might be given to who? To them that what? Believe. I can know about the promise, I can know all about the gifts of God, I can know some doctrinal things and that's good, but I need to believe. There needs to be an exercising of my faith which embraces the truth and embraces Christ. And, and this leads us to the next point. Faith is the means to receive the gift of God. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the what? It is the gift of God. So God's given us a gift. Faith is the one that says, I want it. I need it. Faith is embracing the grace of God, receiving and believing on Christ alone. The Bible says in uh, John chapter 12, but as many as received him, to them gave ye power to become the sons of God. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized. See, faith is not a work. Receiving the gift is not a work. If I have this, let's just say this is the gift of God and it depicts everything, eternal life, salvation, forgiveness of sin, peace with God, everything. And I say, you know, here's a gift. And this is for you. Who bought the gift? Who provided the gift? I did. And if someone were to receive it, you go ahead and receive this gift. What do you say, Kevin? You say, thank you. Now, just because the act of receiving, does that make that a work? No, the work has been done. It's a gift. It's just been given. And we have to receive it by faith and say, thank you, Lord. And I really mean receive it with all our hearts and be broken. Because if you understand the unspeakable gift and the Spirit of God illuminating what you have here, you can't be like, yeah, well, thank you for that. No, you're like, you appreciate it. You say, thank you, Lord. I, I, I'm not worthy. This is too good to be true. There's got to be an element of that. You know what I'm trying to say? There's got to be a, 
something there that you see the value of God's grace. And you see it and you say, thank you, Lord. And any which way you may exhibit that to the Lord. Everybody's different. But have you received the gift by faith? And were you thankful? Did you see what God has done for you? You know, are you grateful? Did you sing? Has he put a new song in your mouth? Did, did really heaven came down and glory filled your soul? There are some people perhaps will go through, you know, different experiences when they see God's love. Like, for example, my salvation is different than my son Elisha's. So what was the difference? I'll tell you what the difference was. It was similar. I'm not saying that my son was Simon the Pharisee, but it was similar to what this sinner that confronted Jesus and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and hair and broke. And Jesus said that the reason why she's doing this is because she has been forgiven much and therefore she loves much. My son hasn't been through the ringer like I have and done wicked things like I have to appreciate what I have more than what he can appreciate. But there's still some sort of appreciation and there's a love and adoration. And I say to my son and anyone like him, listen, you should love and learn to love the Lord more because he's protecting you from what would have been. You don't have to deal with those scars. You don't have to deal with those memories. God has doubly pardoned you. He, and thank God for people that get saved at a young age. And thank God for people that embrace Jesus from a young age. You don't understand what you have. Because if you go out there in the street, there's no hope. Ruins your life. It's all the, you know, but you have to be like Timothy from a young age. That has known the Holy Scriptures. That is able to make thee wise unto salvation, Timothy. And Paul had to tell him, continue in the faith. Continue. Fight the good fight. Now Paul knew and loved the Lord perhaps a little bit more than Timothy because Paul went in the ring of two persecuted Christians. But listen, brethren, we should all love the Lord. There's got to be love there for him. And the Bible says that whoever doesn't love the Lord, let him be enough and maranatha. Let him be accursed on that judgment day. You have to love the Lord and appreciate him. And sometimes we forget. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. So we're reminded what God has done for us. You know, the Lord didn't initiate the Lord's Supper for nothing. He knew that we sometimes get caught up in the business of life and this or that. And we get taken. But we go back to the Lord's Supper and we're sober and we're reminded. How many here are married? Put your hand up. How many people celebrate anniversary? Put your hand up. All right, why? Remember the time we met? <laughs> and you go through all that? It's, it's healthy. Remember the time we did this together? Some, you know, remember that time that I was standing at the altar and I'm thinking, you, you're never going to come. Why would you marry a dropkick like me? You know. She goes, oh, I was just down there getting ready. I don't know why you thought I wouldn't come. So it's got nothing to do with you, it's just me. I'm not worthy. Yeah, I, I remember those. And I'm so thankful for a wife like this that God has given me. You're thankful. Yeah, look, listen, listen very carefully. You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more God? Are you better than God? We know how to give good gifts, but God can't, can't gift us with good things. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Everything that we have is good from God. 
But the greatest gift and the unspeakable gift is his son, who him he gave. Do you see that to be precious? Do you care? You say, why do people not care? Because there's a problem, it's a heart problem. Receiving the gift of God by faith is not a self-righteous act, it's a humbling act. It ought to be humbling. You'll give this to me? You did that for me? That's faith in action, my friend. Seeing the value of the gift. You know, Paul draws the distinction in verse 9 clearly in Ephesians 2. Have a look. Look at it, look at it as simple as it is. I want you to see the distinction. I want you to see this. Have a look. In Ephesians 2 verse 9. We're almost done. Almost finished. Paul draws the distinction. And look at verse 8 again. By grace are you saved through faith. And look at this here. And not of yourselves. So he gives us a little bit more of not what, it's a gift of God and what, what it means that it's not of yourself, okay, by saying not of works, lest any man should boast. So he's not saying that faith is not of yourself. No, he continues to say it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works. Okay, he's finished by saying faith. It's, it, it, there's a contrast and it's very clear. So why not by works? Okay, number one, works undermines the finished work of the cross. You know, the Bible says we do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If we can, get, if we can earn God's favour by doing good and going to church, doing all the things that are even expected in the Christian uh, you know, proximity and not only just the law of Moses, but all the other things that Christianity demands, if we can get and earn God's favour by doing these things, then why did Christ have to die? Because we can't. It's only through Christ. Salvation cannot be worked for because it is a gift and the gift cannot be uh, purchased any other way than what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus paid it all. Number two, works undermines the grace of God. Not only, you know, the, the cross of Christ, but the grace of God itself. When Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel among the Gentiles, the response was so wonderful but there were Jews that were trying to move them away from the grace of God and bring them back to the law. And you know what? They took it to the Jerusalem council and said, okay, we're dealing with Gentiles now. Uh, you know, what, what's their relationship with, 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 the, with, with us Jews and, and, and what we have in the Messiah? And they concluded in verse 11 and said, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. That's it. That's the only way. Not circumcision, not the law. It's all of grace through Jesus Christ. Works outside of Christ gives room for a man to what? Boast. And, listen, it breeds self-righteousness and undermines the righteousness of Christ. All right, I want you to see this in Romans 3. We're almost done. Stay with me now. It's very important that we see this. Before we conclude, look at Romans 3, look at verse 24. Romans 3, look at verse 24. We can back it up, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through what? Faith in his blood 
to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which what? Believeth in who? Jesus. See? Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, by the law of faith. See? You can't boast when it's of faith. See the contrast here? There's no basing. You don't say, how wonderful is my faith? No, you say, how wonderful is the grace of God? That's faith. Okay? You don't boast in faith. You can boast in your self-righteousness, which undermines the righteousness of God. Let's read the last verse there in verse 28 there. Uh, have a look at verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. There you have it. You, want, you know what Isaiah says? That all is an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We try to earn our way to heaven by doing good. God says it's not good enough. It stinks. It's unclean. You're unclean. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. I've prepared a lamb from the foundation of the world. And a lot of people want to work their way up to heaven because they want to boast. There's something in man like that Pharisee that Jesus gave that parable about the Pharisee and the publican. The publican just said, Lord, have mercy upon me. The Pharisee went, oh, Lord, look what I've done. You know, people want to go to heaven and believe that they're the best thing that ever happened to God. You should let me in. You know how much money I've given to the poor? You know how many times I went to church during the week? Not just Sunday. I mean, I went to Wednesday prayer meeting. I did this and I did that. No, no, it's not good. Listen, you can go to church 24-7, seven days a week. If your faith is not in Jesus Christ, it's all fertile. Listen to me. You can be in church and not be in Christ. But a lot of people think, oh, yeah, but I'm not, you know, I'm better than the average person. You know, they went and did this and I was in church today. I fast and pray. Not by works of righteousness. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. You want to boast? You want to glory? And what Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save or accept in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let him that glorieth, glory in the Lord. Amen. Praise God for that. Now, in closing, what hinders a person from receiving the gift of God? I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. But you know the parable of the sower, don't you? I believe, number one, pride hinders a person. Remember the seed that fell by the wayside is someone I believe is, is careless, doesn't want to know, the devil comes and snatches it, they're full of self, maybe tradition. They're just careless. Not only this, but possessions. Remember the word of God, the seed, the gospel seed that fell among thorns and the cares of this world choked the word of God. Possessions. And not only this, but persecution. The seed that fell on the stony ground was destroyed by the sun because of the fear of man and the offense of God's word. How many people don't come into the kingdom because they're more concerned about what people may think than what God thinks? What about this pleasure? The pleasure of sin for a season. What would it be like Moses? By faith, the Bible says regarding Moses. By faith. Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. 
Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why don't we be like that? Why don't we saw, uh, uh, show a sign of repentant heart and say no to this sinful world and say yes to the Lord. I'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You want to live without God and live in sin and do what you want? Go ahead. But how long do you have? You've got 70 years is the life expectancy, 80. Some live to see 100. But what's 100 years compared to eternity? You want to live in pleasure without God, without Christ, living it up, so to speak, eat, drink, and be merry, and then, go, and then die and go to hell, and then what? But this is the most, listen to me, very popular reason why people don't enter into the kingdom because they love darkness more than the light. And that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said it. He said it very clearly. In, and I want you to see it before we close. He said this in John 3.19, and this is the condemnation. The condemnation to those that believe not. What is it? That light is coming to the world. Jesus is coming to the world. Light has come to the world. And men love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh into the light, lest his deeds should be what? Reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh into the light, and his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought of God. Man of God once said this, what a tragedy, that people have turned away from God's offer, embracing instead the darkness in hopes of covering up evil actions. There is probably no more painful moment than we when, when we confront our tendency to love darkness, to twist or withhold the truth, the people who hate the light are those who want to sin in darkness. Evil deeds are revealed by light. So people who want to do evil must do it in the dark so they cannot be exposed and caught in the act. I don't have time to go through the third point, but let me say this. Have you received the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Can you honestly say that you have by faith received God's gift? That you've been broken before God when God has showed you your sin and you've been coming before the Lord and you see your Saviour for who He is. Can you say with all your heart that you've received God's gift and that you love the Lord? And you want to become a follower of the Lord you know what a Christian is? He's a follower of Jesus. That's what Christian means. That means he's followed the way. Back before they were called Christians, the evil society called them the way. That, that there's the way because they followed Jesus. And then in Antioch, they were first called Christians, the disciples. Are you a Christian? Are you following the way? Are you following Christ? Have you put your faith in him? You love him. I'm not saying, are you sinless? We haven't received our glorified bodies yet. But are you sinning less and asking the Lord to give you victory over those things that once enslaved you and captivated you? Are you a new creature in Christ? Do you love the Lord? Because if any man love not the Lord, let him be anathema, maranatha. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my word.
Do you have a desire to keep God's word? A lot of people say, I'm saved, I believe in Jesus. There's no desire to keep the word of God. There's a problem there, isn't there? There's a problem. May God help us to understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Let's pray.